0: The subject <clears throat> for the evening talk is the unconditioned. I have heard that recently that in the United States that uh, Buddhism has become in the last fifteen or twenty years the fastest-growing religion, that from a relatively very small number of people who adhered to Buddhist principles, Buddhist philosophy and life view, that the number has increased quite quite considerably to a number in the region, it is said, of between half a million to a million people. And that there is a growing degree of interest and this interest is both in the the practice, the Buddhist psychology, the Buddhist ethics, the Buddhist principles of nonviolence, and that very I would say intelligent and thoughtful approach to life and the relationship to life with loving kindness and compassion being very much the centerpiece. And Within, within that movement, of course, it, unlike some of the religions which we are familiar with the rest, it hasn't as yet identified itself with the status quo. It, ha- it hasn't ad- ad- adhered itself to a, a particular mode of political thinking. And so what we see are active alternatives to it with, with very much the emphasis on nonviolence and inner and outer change. And just just recently there was a program on the television, a documentary in in Britain, on on Buddhism in Thailand. And the the team who made the documentary traveled to various parts of the country. And one of the things which was noticeably outstanding there is that there is also a change taking place in the traditional religion in so far that more and more of the monks who, with whom the religion and its continuity has been uh, 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 has been uh, kept more and more of the monks are beginning to see that the monastic institution it, itself isn't going to last on its present lines and change is coming about in which it's going from working inwardly and leading a, a rather quiet, simple life with the benefits of the disciplinary rules, with the, the benefits of the religious institution and the ritual, to one of more commitment outwardly. And in the course of the program, just one sentence stuck in my mind. And and it was one which one of the monks had said who's, Working in the in the villages to really help the people at the grassroots level, and he said, Buddhism and capitalism are completely incompatible. They cannot possibly work together. And in that sta- statement, which I feel is a, a statement for much reflection and and inquiry, in one might. Polar state that or in the language which we are familiar with is that capitalism in its form and, and in our present society must appeal to self-interest. That, 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 that's to some degree the, the founding one of the founding principles of, of uh, this form of life in which producing and consuming become primary reasons for one's existence. And one has that that the contrast of that, of this, of self-interest, coupled with the, the message of the Buddha, which sometimes is interpreted as no self. So what <laughs> so in this this stark opposite viewpoint. And in that the starkness, one might say, of that opposite uh, viewpoint, the viewpoint of no-self or not-self is one which has traditionally and in our present time, one which often creates the most confusion, the most difficulty in being able to accommodate and, and to accept. What, what, what does it mean? It's... Uh, uh, a statement or an idea or a concept which seems totally foreign to our experience. And so one might say, in spite of the enormous difficulties in coping with this theme of no self or not self, there still happens to be half a million to a million people who seem to be resonating with enough else to say, well, I don't understand what this means, but the rest seems intelligent so <laughs> in this look <laughs> there are some monks who will turn over in their grave with these statements in this in this lo- looking at this area of self and vested self-interest and, uh, and the, the contrast to it. It's, it's rather important, too, that in the looking at self, we approach it both from an inquiry and an investigation at a meditative level to see what that means for us and also to bring into it, too, the spiritual dimension, which is perhaps in our English language, best represented or best presented by the concept of selflessness. When we, and we have that sense of, of what that means in, in life. That when there is that capacity to truly give up an area of uh, self, of self-interest, of, of one's ego, To make space and make room for others in life, that's an expression of selflessness. And yesterday we listened to Jim's account of one of the expressions of selflessness. In this Giving inquiry and and investigation into this area of self or not self and, and no self, it is part of the process in which, as human beings, we look and work upon all that which we, in our familiar language, refer to and identify and determine to be ourselves. And so this, in common parlance, in our everyday life, we say, I am, and then we add a whole string of information to that. But of course what we're in fact and practice and application and awareness and observation is the endeavor to be as clear as possible to deal with what the actual fact is. So that when we are using a word like self, when we are using a word like I or me or mine, which is perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable, practice of being clear is being clear, what does this actually refer to? And that becoming clear about what it actually refers to is the stepping stone to understanding what we mean by not self. And in our basic makeup, there is body, and then which is one of use a technical language one of the aggregates that aggregate doesn't exist separately it exists in conjunction with it exists in conjunction with feelings in conjunction with perceptions in conjunction with mental formations the movements activities of the mind and consciousness and those five aggregates are occurring and they're occurring in an interrelated way. And there's various changes which we have spoken about and have experiences in those occurrences. So whenever we're referring to ourself, we are referring to, in some way or other, one of those five, or a combination of them, or the total of them. One might say, right now I am sitting here. In that I'm referring to the physical life, I'm referring to my, my mind being here, I'm referring to my feelings and my perceptions, my consciousness, all, all of that which I say, this is myself. So myself is something which is identifiable, which is what can be pointed to. In this ability that you and I have to to particularize and to single out, we can see and become, you know, becoming much more clear what we are referring to. So that sometimes I will say, um, I am tall. I'm referring specifically to the body and the other mental factors are aggregates at that time, are of no real interest to me. And then the attention moves and switches and then something else becomes what I am. But within all of the dynamic that's taking place, in some way or other, it's got to be moving in and through these five aggregates. When we speak of observation. When we speak of being aware, when we speak of mindfulness, we're speaking of that element of consciousness which is supported with an energy, an energy behind the consciousness, giving support to it to enable us to be aware and recognise, along with the perceptions, what is happening with ourselves, what we constitute ourselves, and outside of ourselves. Now sometimes in that process, or in that activity of our, of our looking, looking at ourselves, we notice this movement back and forth. Sometimes we feel very much identified with what is happening, Sometimes we feel less identified. Sometimes one looks at the pain in the body and just regards it, oh, there's just pain in the body. Another time it's, oh, I am hurting. There's a full identification with it. Another time it's a possessive identification with it. My my body is hurting. So the forms of the relationship to what's occurring tends to change quite considerably. It changes enough for us to at least register a doubt whether one of them is ultimately true. Understand? You follow? Sometimes I am the body, I mm, uh, I am sitting here. Sometimes my body is hurting becomes from identification with to an object to possession of. Sometimes oh it's just the the body acting like this. There's sufficient frequency of changing in the relationship which can create sufficient doubt to say, well, maybe these forms of relationship are such that one by its change is negating the other. And that similarly applies to a whole, whole mental life. In that feelings, one is completely in one's feelings, uh, in whatever form, or in one's ideas, or just observing the ideas and feelings which are arising. And from the standpoint of practice, the way that the process of observation goes is that within that process, there tends to be more the sense, ah, this is a thought, this is a sensation, this is a feeling, this is an idea. So the process, the meditative process, the insight meditative process, brings with it a reduction, a noticeable reduction, in the degree that we identify with what we're experiencing. So there's more a sense within that, this is just happening. This is just occurring. Now one of the dangers with meditation, insight meditation, is the danger that one tries too hard to see this way. One hears about seeing, just seeing things as they are, not seeing things so personally, not seeing things as self, but just seeing things as they are. And one tries to do that. But the very trying creates an antagonism between the observer of this and the observed, the witness and the witnessed. It creates a pressure. And so one finds oneself trying to be detached from what is occurring. And when we try to be, when we try to stand back, when we push ourselves back to stand back and see without identification, it's like it's like pulling on an elastic band. One pulls oneself back to, through that trying, and the mind, and the consciousness, finds itself at springing back into it because it ha- isn't happening in an organic way. And so sometimes a person in their practice, and people do speak of this quite regularly, that in trying to stand back from it, it feels, feels like there is some, and there will be, some kind of denial going on. Denial of oneself, denial of one's feelings, denial of one's spontaneity, spontaneity. Denial, in fact, of being who one is. And there is an understandable concern in the practice that if one tries to stand back from all that is, is happening, that somehow <coughs> one will become dry, cold, detached in an, an, an aloof way, distant, remote from your, one's whole mental, physical being and confuse this with the seeing of not-self. You understand if you're you, standing back becoming do, too detached and then feel distant and remove and aloof and feel uh, that kind of detachment which is, which is cold and dry and arid. And if that is happening in one's practice, if that's w- what's what's actually taking place then. Then one has to look very carefully what's happening in, this, in the totality of these aggregates which is producing this as a result. If there is the seeing Therefore, it's not a withdrawal, it's not the trying to get away from, it's not trying to be detached from the events. If there is the seeing of what is occurring, just clearly seeing, quietly, fully, and uh, sensitively of this whole interactivity, the seeing clearly of the phenomenal physical and mental nature means that it will come about within one's being a greater sense of freedom a greater sense of joy will come through because it's it's just that quiet seeing of what is taking place and that has its outflow because the inner work true inner work must in the organic nature of things, recycle itself and become outer, that in that inner, fl- inner inwardness which is taking place and the seeing of things clearly, there is less preoccupation here, less identification, less caught in, getting caught up. So as a result, the spiritual factor element of not-self, in our language, selflessness, begins to come in, it begins to show itself, manifest itself out in this world. <coughs> now we're now <coughs> looking at at our at the physical and mental nature and its expression. We also uh, see, and by this time you'll probably be wondering what the title of the talk has got to do with all this.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're not the only one. Huh? <laughs> 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 so by this looking and to what the, <laughs> the in interaction and inter, uh, de- interdependence is taking place, there's within that the meditative process, the form which is taking place, the feature of observation. And we say, and we see in, in that, that in the evolution of ourselves, it requires for that a whole variety of conditions. It's not something, if this is not self, but just a nature interrelated and inter- interdependent. It's not something that one can do on one's own. It's not something that one can create an ultimate condition because that all of that implies a self and a self-interest. So in our awareness and uh, seeing things clear more and more clearly, we see that, the, that in that, you and I exist with this world. The world exists with us. That it's not two separate entities at any point in the life journey. So what that means as far as the practice goes, and living with awareness and observation, that we become aware of the variety of conditions, outwardly and inwardly, which affect what's happening here. This is important. There is a rather peculiar philosophy, and sometimes used in therapy, that I create my own world. It's neither untrue, experientially, it's it's, it's a falsehood. It gives a kind of power to the individual which you and I don't have. The world as it shows itself and it is created, is created by the variety of conditions. And practice and the process and the genuine, shall we say, evolution of consciousness, when we think in terms of time and we look in that way, means that we make ourselves through inner and outer conditions, reasonably receptive to seeing life clearly. And here, to some degree, we have not optimum conditions, but unusually and extremely rare conditions being provided around here for each one of us to maximise seeing as clearly as possible. Now the way that that is maximised for seeing clearly as possible, that as much as possible, the environment doesn't keep intruding on us. So we see the conditions of life, human beings, insentient objects, the sky, the earth, the rooms, etc. It's belonging to the field of life. But because it's not keep intruding through all the ways that it does, we can begin to see that this life relationship quietly more, more clearly. And in the same way, not only outwardly, but inwardly as well, not having so much burdening on us f- through our eyes and our ears, we can turn our attention to see these conditions more clearly. In seeing these various bare conditions, bare appearances, that the bare world itself, one of the separations which certainly gets less is the one of this is me, this he, this that, whatever it might be is not me. And, and a sense, a little, an, an intuitive sense, begins to come in. Sometimes we overlap, we extend this experience of this sense too far. We start saying, this is not me, but, and we might feel, oh, the birds in the sky, the trees, the nature, others, I am everything, I am one with everything, all is me. But that which is genuinely a religious form of a religious form of experience but it's a religious form of experience in which self as me so t- has temporarily dropped away but one is taking it too far one is taking the uh, identified with a form of experience going beyond self but identifying oneself everywhere And therefore, the self-idea has moved outwardly beyond here. In this awareness of the conditions, outer and inner conditions, and just seeing the various conditions which are taking place, there is, within that, a sense of moving in life, I mean inwardly, evolving, developing. And in and through that one may see, before one year ago, five years ago, I was here at this place, at this psychological juncture in life. In the course of time I've been working on myself, on this mind-body activity, on consciousness and its condition. And I see that some of those things which were troublesome and painful and frightening and despairing for me are not prevalent now. The potency has gone out. That self-work, that inner work has reduced much of that. So begin to sense, in spite of all the hitches and the hold-ups, here is a movement taking place in time. And it's a process which is ongoing and as a result of that ongoing process I can see if this is maintained in spite of all the difficulties and feelings that arise of say getting stuck or going the wrong way the general thread is of a process which has in the field of time a continuity and that continuity, as we experience in real terms in our life, is shaped and affected by the various conditions and what we bring to those conditions. So at times in our daily life we find some conditions extraordinarily difficult to maintain a sense of inner development, the evolution of consciousness, and we find other conditions supportive. We would say, yes, this is basically supportive, being another one isn't. So we see this interconnection with the conditions, but as our understanding and our attitude grows, we become more willing to be exposed and enter into the variety of life conditions. If something is too difficult, too painful, too threatening, the conditions are overwhelming, there are not the resources in, within oneself, then one's practice is to listen to that message, to get that clearly and see what can be done. But So there's this ongoing process which is taking place. With the change, with the conditions, inner and outer, the interdependence there, and then one hears of a fruition. One hears that if the process continues, that there is some kind of fruition, some kind of promise, something which is referred to in the various texts as the changeless, the unconditioned. And that becomes to varying degrees for varying people, sometimes a reason or the motive behind the practice, behind being involved in the process as, if the facts are, are correct, an increasing number of people wish to be involved in some way or other. So there's, there's a process and some kind of sense of a, a fruition, a fulfillment within that. Of course, just incidentally, you know, I, I think you, I'm sure you would ag- agree here that uh, numbers and uh, conversions and so and all of that really doesn't matter. Far better that there is one human being, uh, fully, uh, what should we say, truly clear and with courage and uh, understanding, rather than an enormous number who are, are half-hearted about these things. And as history constantly, constantly shows to, to all, all of us what single-pointed commitment is capable of. So in this, in this process of commi- committing and giving oneself wholeheartedly to looking and meeting life conditions, this comes as a possible end. But then within that, one is faced with this peculiar paradox. There's something which is almost unimaginable. That this unconditioned, or in Buddhism, would be referred to as nirvana, or God, or transcendence, or whatever the word may be. That if that is unconditioned, means it can't be changed or whatever, it, in that way, how can, and here's where the conflict and the difficulty arises, how can, the condi- how can conditions produce an unconditioned? How can it make that happen? How can one come to that? How can there be a leap of varying conditions to which in time and in the progress of, uh, the, of uh, life's re- relationship it suddenly change and become something quite different in some way or other. So one one finds oneself that this continuing manifestation of conditions keep occurring in life. And one wonders, does that keep continuing and lead to an end? Or is it that we have to discover in another way altogether. And so to help counteract this pursuit of a fruition in life, of, of some end which is the answer to all the varying conditions of life, which is the answer to all, much emphasis is rightly placed on not being attached to goals, not being attached to ideas of enlightenment, not. Not identifying oneself with 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 a, with trying to get h- onto a, a nirvana I- experience or whatever, and how quickly the mind, in any form of experience, especially experience which is strange or difficult or uh, mystical or whatever, how easily we want to identify, put a label to it, P- and by putting a label to it, subtly or grossly imply this I have had. So that the self-idea can get a reinforcement through an experience, get a sense of an assertion of itself that it actually has achieved something special. And it wants that. And it wants that for its own confirmation. It wants it as a proof that all of this is really worthwhile because it has brought me that. (laughs) And the idea of not only having to give up the greed, the aggression, the despair, the confusion, the anger, but to actually give up the promised land that goes with it, <laughs> mind doesn't want to know. so this this movement of this, pros, uh, this process and the evolution, let us say, that, that goes with it, may require in any inquiry the genuine Renunciation and letting go, and even then, when one says, "Ah, if I renounce and I let go," <laughs> then it will come through the back door. <laughs> and there are no back doors in consciousness. I'm sorry to report. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then, this one is still faced with a difficulty within this situation because it seems that the text the scripture and the whole sense of path and goal, in fact, gives this promise. And the way that it is spelt out in the form of the language seems to spell this out in some way or other. But that's because inquiry is short. That's because the investigation into, and the seeing into the nature of of, of things, is there's still obscurations there. And that's why, because there's isn't the, <coughs> the penetration f- fully and totally into the living present. So one finds that one is faced with a difficulty A difficulty which says continuity is the key to practice. Therefore, time is indispensable. And the sense that that time and the continuing of time and that relationship to time which says, it might be in in a very subtle and pure way, I am doing this for that. I am meditating in order to be free from. I am, I am observing in order to be able to let go of. So our relationship is that the present is a means, all this in our, our time and in our, in our practice, the present is a means to, re, to come to a certain end. And because we experience this, because this does actually happen, because we can see development and change and so forth, we carry it to the degree that we believe that somehow or other this is related to a transcendent understanding. And we forget that the the message, or that the Buddha has spoken of the unconditioned. Therefore, no process, no conditioning has any direct bearing on the unconditioned. It is unconditioned. So, in spite of all the changes and the tremendous improvement and development and and maturing within our being therefore the, the ripening of conditioning and the, the genuine evolution still the essence is the unconditioned what is the, what can be the, what can be the relationship then between these two if this evolution process, this time thing goes on and on, and if there are lives on and on and on and on, and yet there is the, the, there is the, the, the communication throughout the ages of the unconditioned, what is the connection? Is there any connection? And it comes again, it's, comes back to the whole self-idea. The self-idea is the key. Not only self-idea referring to me, myself, mine, what I am, what I think I am, what I was, what I am, what I will be. But self-idea in that anything which is pointed to is self. This is a clock. That's what it is, its itself, is that Whatever we point it, it is self. It has through the pinpointing a separateness. It's it's a sense of its ownness. That it belongs to itself. Sometimes in the process of the meditative pro- process we begin to see what it doesn't actually, it has, it, it's not actually for itself at all, given all the things that make it. But whenever in our framework of language and our way of looking, wherever we take, there is self. Self which is person, the most familiar form, and self meaning something which is separate from something else, something which is different, something which is, has its own outer characteristic. What if, what, if, what if in the deeper areas of, of meditation, of that meditative observation, what if there is not that kind of movement of mind, that kind of interpretation in any way at all, which is involved in the question of something being self or not self or no self? What if there's no kind of way of taking a hold of any aspect of of all of it or some of it, of any kind of condition? So there's no pinpointing happening. There's no conclusion of it's all diverse and different or it's all one and unity. That one's being is not drawing that kind of conclusion in any way, that it's not all separate, nor that it's all interdependent. It's simply not seeing like that. It's not bringing in that, as it were, personalized interpretation through the various conditions or the quality of our experience at a particular time, which says it's all one or it's just conflict, it's dualism or it's harmony or whatever. All of that is reliant on a certain, if it's not an abstract theory, on a certain experience to see in that particular way. But one is not seeing with one's head, and therefore it's not abstract. One's not seeing through the limited reference of a personal I- experience, or just an experience. So there's not the head, and there's not the thinker. There's not the experience, and there's not the experiencer, who will see partic- in a particular way. And if there is not the seeing in that, and there's not any kind of pinpointing, Where is the conditioned? Where is the self? Where is there an it in reference to another it or it to itself? And in that emptiness, in that fullness, that unconditioned, the response of the human being is compassion. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings abide in compassion.